The end is near. Have you seen those signs somewhere? Maybe not so much in person. If you've been downtown Toronto, downtown cities, you might have seen that. You won't see that too much here on downtown Collingwood. Online, you've probably seen stuff like this. We kind of get fixated on some of these questions and ideas about the end is near. What I particularly like about this cartoon, I don't know who the cartoonist is, but when they put it out, there's a second half to this cartoon, and I think it speaks to how we've been feeling over the past few years. So here's the other half of the cartoon. And I will just let you interpret that cartoon the way that you want to. And so we'll, we'll leave it at that. But this whole idea about the end times is actually something we're going to talk about today. And before you get nervous, let me explain what's going on. We've been journeying through what's called the Gospel of Luke, the, the good news of Jesus, according to a guy named Luke, who wrote it for us uh, in the first century, not long after uh, Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And so we've been going through chapter by chapter, and what we've discovered is from Luke chapter 9 to chapter 19, the scene shifts from Galilee, which is where Jesus grew up and was raised and started his ministry, and then in chapter 9, he starts to make his way to Jerusalem towards the end of his life. And for 10 chapters, Luke's been letting us follow along with Jesus as he's making his way down to Jerusalem. And we're just passage by passage working through here. So today, we happen to be dealing with a passage that gets people fixated on thinking about the end times. So let me read the passage for you. You can follow along if you like in Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. Or I'm just going to read it for you, and you can listen to it the way that the earliest Christians would have experienced the Scriptures was to hear them being read. So I invite you to listen with ears to hear today. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, well, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. And then he turned to his disciples. And if you remember, there's a, an interchange going on here as Luke is sharing in, from chapter um, 16 through to chapter 18, there's a big crowd around Jesus, the Pharisees, his disciples, the apostles, and the larger crowd. And even though Jesus is speaking to one group, the others are also within earshot. And this is a, a good um, an example for us. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first... The Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. And when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building, and until, the mor until that morning that Lot left Sodom. And then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. 
Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And on that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack, or a person in the field shouldn't return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. If you let go, you'll save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. And then the disciples said, well, where will these things happen, Lord? And Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows us there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. So here's this wonderful passage that gets people thinking about the end times. When are these things going to happen? And here's the Pharisees, a group of re- very religiously zealous people who want the kingdom of God to be fully present, and they're really keen on doing everything they can to make the kingdom of God happen. And we often write the Pharisees off as religious nutcases and actually think Jesus has a a warm spot in his heart for them. He spends so much time talking to them because he's trying to help them move beyond. And I'm not sure they're that different than, than many in our churches today. So you know that indicating about like there are a bunch of nut jobs and you're pointing the finger and there's three pointing back at you. Like I think that comes into play here. But here's these people religiously looking for the end and they're saying, when, when's it gonna happen? And then later in the story, his disciples are asking a similar question. Well, where are these things going to happen? And it's this idea of being able to read the signs. We know we've got the signs for when the end's going to happen. And maybe you've had a conversation with somebody about about that, and they seem to have an idea like the end's coming in this time, at this date, or throughout um, throughout different um, crises around the world, people will start to use language about the end is near. And what's curious for me is when these people ask Jesus the question, when is this going to happen? Jesus doesn't answer their question by answering when. He actually starts to talk about where. And when the disciples say, well, where is it going to happen? Jesus tells them a story about vultures. And it's as if Jesus is saying those are the wrong questions to be asking. When we ask those questions, when people get fixated on being able to predict when the end is going to happen, what happens is the emphasis shifts from God and what God is up to, to this person's ability to predict when it's going to happen. We want signs, and then the focus is no longer on God and his activity in the world, but on the individual and their ability to tell others when this is going to happen. And I just get a sense here that Jesus is pointing out to these wonderful people, it's the wrong question. You're getting confused on what's the most important thing or who's the most important person in all of this. And there's a little bit of a hint, and and maybe maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, but there's a bit of a hint when we get fixated on asking these questions like when and where, To me, there's a bit of a hint on the certainty of who's in and who's out. And so we want to make sure everybody knows, like, these things are happening and we know what's going on because we're on the in and you're on the out. 
And it begins to create this sense of, of exclusivity of people who have um, some kind of special awareness and knowledge about what God is doing and that it's only for a certain group of people. And I so appreciate how Jesus doesn't just like beat them over the head, but he just shifts the focus. And in some ways, he's just saying, yeah, I know you're asking those questions. I'm not sure that's the right question to be asking. Well, I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't saying I'm not sure. But, um, but I think he's trying to help them realize that there's another question that could be asked. And so he says to them, look here in verse um, 20 and 21. The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, because the kingdom of God is already among you. And that's fascinating. One other way that you could read what Jesus said is that the kingdom of God is within you. And so depending on which Bible you read and when you're translating one language to another, there's always nuances to how not just from Greek into English, but from any language into another. You can translate words one way or another. And some translators will say the kingdom of God is within you or it's within your grasp. And, and the version that I'm reading for you is that the kingdom of God is among you. And what's beautiful about this is to understand Jesus saying to people that the kingdom of God is within you is to recognize the personal experience that God is offering to each person, to experience God here and now within you in a very um, personal way. And to recognize that the kingdom of God is among us is to be aware of how God works, how the kingdom of God works when people are gathered together and focused on God himself. And that God uses people to bring about the things that he wants to see happening in this world. And so you've got this, this lovely awareness of Jesus saying to the people asking these questions, careful about being fixated on the future and missing what's in front of you right now. That the kingdom of God is among you. And now, a little bit of fun with this idea of the Son of Man. So, in verse 20 and 20 to 24, Jesus says to his disciples, the Pharisees ask him a question, he answers their when question with a where answer, and then he turns to his disciples and he says, you are going to long for the days of the Son of Man. And then he, in just a few words later, says, and when the day of the Son of Man comes, it'll be like lightning lighting up the whole sky. And this is where you get into the fun of being able to spend some time um, studying the text, that there's a play here going on of Jesus speaking to the people who are hearing him, talking about the days of the Son of Man and the day of the Son of Man. And all of the people who are listening to him uh, who are uh, very Jewish in their upbringing and their awareness of the Scriptures are being immediately um, ushered back to a book in the Old Testament called the book of Daniel. And a man named Daniel who lived in captivity in Babylon. And he had a vision about a son of man who was like the ancient of days who would be returning and his kingdom, he would rule over all the nations and his kingdom would never end. That's from Daniel 7, verse 14 and 15. And everyone is immediately being taken back to this idea of one who was coming 
And Jesus says to his followers, you're, you're going to long for the days of the Son of Man, the time of that, but then when the day actually comes, it'll be really clear and evident to you. And what he's doing is opening up his followers and his listeners to this idea of the now and the not yet, of living in what some people call the in-between times, the liminal spaces of of, uh, God's kingdom. So for the disciples, as he says to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is among you, and for all of you who are following me, you're going to long for these days but then you're going to realize that there's a finality to them. And that finality is somewhere down the road. And so we've got this idea of days and day, of the now and the not yet, that we live in the in-between times of the kingdom being fully present and yet not fully complete until Jesus returns. And I think Jesus is saying to people, In my presence, right here, right now, the kingdom of God is fully present among you. And that Jesus believed that in himself, the God of Israel was fully present for people. And then there was a reminder that the end was yet to come. And for people who are fixated on the end, Jesus is saying, don't miss what's right in front of you. But before you confuse how this is all going to play out and what it's going to look like, Jesus is also wanting to remind them of something really important and really critical. And and I think what he's uh, encouraging people to ponder is instead of asking when and where, where the focus is on you and your rightness and your accuracy and who's in and who's out, Maybe a better question is, how do we participate with you? Because then he says to people something curious in verse 25. The day of the Son of Man is going to be like lightning lighting up the sky, but the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. Do you remember what Luke is doing from chapter 9 to chapter 19? He just keeps bringing up the theme of death and resurrection, Jesus repeatedly refers to his own death and resurrection. The parables that he's telling, the things that he's doing are an indication of death and resurrection, of dying to self and new life coming up out of that death. And it's a dominant theme in the background of all these things that are happening in Luke 9 to 19. And when we're asking about how do we participate in the kingdom of God, there's an awareness of in the background is this understanding of how the kingdom operates, often in the principle of death and resurrection. So he gives a couple examples, and he says, well, think about Noah. Most of you have heard of the story of Noah, yes? Okay. So think about Noah, just like people lived during the time of Noah. They were partying and celebrating and enjoying all the great things of life right up until the day that calamity came. They were living life. The difficulty was it was the wrong kind of life. Think about the days of Lot. People weren't necessarily partying and celebrating, but they were going about the everyday business, building and farming and making business transactions and and just getting caught up in all the things of this life right up until the time that the city was destroyed. 
And then Jesus says, listen, if you're on the roof, don't go down to the house to pack. If you're out in the field, don't go running home. And, and I, I think he's giving us this indication of how easy it is to get caught up in trying to squeeze every ounce of, of um, bliss out of this life that we think is so amazing. And what he's offering us is to give up that life for something even better. And it's so easy to get sidetracked and, and delayed from understanding what it means that the kingdom of God is in your midst. It is among you. It is within you. And if you get fixated on the wrong things, you're going to miss it. And I want to remind us that Jesus is not talking to the crowd. He's talking to his disciples in this instance. And so he says in verse 33, I think I've got the wrong references up there. It's verse 25 and 33, not verse 37. If you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you let go of your life, you will save it. Then he says, two people are in bed, one's taken, the other's left. Two, two women are grinding flour, one's taken, the other's left. And people read that and they go, rapture. Be careful. You don't want to miss the rapture. And I'm going to hold on to you and take as many up with me as I can and say to them, are you going to get saved or do I let go? And again, we get fixated on when it's going to happen. I don't think this is rapture language. I think this is language of Jesus saying, this is how it plays out in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. One person is going to choose life and the consequences that that bears. The other one's going to choose death to self and what that brings. And that's just an example that some people are going to see what's right in front of them and some people are going to miss it. And there's this wonderful, very, very gentle warning. Don't be so focused on being right about the future and yet be so incredibly wrong about right now. And so the disciples are hearing this and they say, like, well, where are these things going to happen? And they're looking for signs. And then Jesus tells them this wonderful story about vultures and dead bodies. <clears throat> so have you ever been driving down the road and you see a whole bunch of vultures circling? Sometimes you see just uh, like a couple, right? And you know, like, oh, there must be a dead bunny, you know, on the side of the road or something. But every once in a while, you're driving around the road and you see a whole bunch of vultures and you're thinking, that thing must be big. Don't you find yourself just wanting to follow them? <laughs> Let's go see the dead body, because they intrigue us. We sometimes think we're all afraid of death, but I think death actually intrigues a lot of people. And Jesus tells a story about vultures. Now, that word can also be translated eagles, and the eagle was the symbol of Rome. So in some ways, Jesus is playing his hand to the people who are listening and saying, if you don't 
catch on to what God's doing right now, that the kingdom of God is here. You're going to continue trying to live the life that's going to take you to where you don't want to be. And that is Rome on your door. So 40 years after Jesus says this, Rome knocks on the doors of Jerusalem in AD 70 and completely destroys the city. And I think in some ways, Jesus is saying, this is what's coming. And if you go to Luke chapter 21, you can read a whole lot more about Jesus talking about um, these end times. And you can, you can kind of get, you know, lots of reading done in there. But again, I think he's setting the scene here. So he could be referring to Rome, but I think there's this wonderful thing that's in the background here of Jesus reminding his hearers about what he does best, and that raises the dead. And so in some ways, Jesus is saying, wherever you see the vultures, wherever you see dead people, that's where you're going to find me because I hang out with the dead. It's what I do. I bring new life to that which was dead. First and foremost in myself. And over and over again, he predicts his death and resurrection. And there's this reminder of him saying, if you're going to try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you begin to understand what it means to die to yourself, then the kingdom of God is growing up within you and among you. Don't be so worried about being right for later and be so wrong about now. Jesus hangs with the dead. That's what he does. Because Jesus is in the business of giving life, new life, rebirth. To quote from a man named Robert Kappen, he says, he says of Jesus speaking to his followers, the dead are my dish, kitties. That's where I work. Raising them's what I do. The living, unfortunately, I can't do much for them. So skip all the where business and forget about the how and the when part two. All that matters is that you trust me to do the job and that you get yourselves out there by beating the bushes and inviting everybody else to trust me too. It really is all safe. Nobody's got anything to lose but a life that's a loser anyway. Where there's death, there's hope. So... I wonder today if we need to ask the question, how do we participate with you in the kingdom among us, God? And I think part of it involves remembering, remembering the story that we are part of, the story of God and humanity, which gets focused on the story of God and Israel in the Old Testament, which is why it's so important for us to understand and be aware of the story of Israel in the New Testament because it gets fulfilled in the story of Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus completing what God was trying to do in the story of Israel. And it includes his death and resurrection. And then it continues in the story of the church. And that's us, and that's the part we play. So we do well to remember that story to help us participate with what God is doing and to recognize that Jesus is alive and present now. Jesus died, but Jesus rose from the dead. And sometimes I think we kind of imagine Jesus went back to be with God, and now it's up to us. But that's not how it works. Jesus gave himself through the Spirit for the church. 
And Jesus is alive and active in this world. When we die to ourselves and we allow him to live in us, then Jesus is alive in this world. He is living the life he wants to live in the world right now. And we are the evidence of that actually happening. We live in him and he lives in us. Going about doing his kingdom business. And so much of that also includes finding the dead and giving them new life. And we get to participate with them in that. So remember and recognize and then realize something. And this is very specific for us here at New Life. I've been back from my sabbatical for a month and numerous times people have talked with me and and, and there's been language about um, we're still kind of, we're still overcoming COVID <clears throat> and we're still dealing with the, the impact of COVID on us as a congregation. And people have said to me things like, yeah, like there's just so many less people now and things are so different now. And I think we have to realize, I don't know if I've said this already or not, but I'm saying it today. I think we need to realize that parts of new life that were are dead. They're no more. Partly why I asked you to just sit in the middle here, because we're coming and we're spreading out. And I wonder sometimes if we're just trying to hold on to what was and look ahead for something that could be and try to pinpoint how it's all going to play out. And I wonder if part of the word for today is enjoy your death. Because we're resurrection people. And God takes what was dead and he gives it new life. And maybe rather than focusing on how to be right about what's down the road, let's not miss what's happening right now in our midst. So I want to encourage us to lean into the new life that we're living right now. And part of that is the newness of each other. And so very pastorally, in the, in the best way I can ask you and to point out is to realize that there are a lot of new people here. And there are a lot of people who aren't here that used to be here. But this is who we are. This is what we look like in our newness. And part of what we need to do is to get used to our newness and become comfortable with each other. And that's only going to happen when you allow God to lead you or open your eyes to the people that God's putting in front of you and to get to know them. And then together, we're going to embrace the newness that he's leading us into and how we go out living out the kingdom and participating with God in all the cool things that he's doing among us now and wants to do down the road. So remember the story, recognize that Jesus is alive, living his life right here, right now, that we live in him, he lives in us. And then realize that we're newer life. I really want to get a paintbrush and go out to the sign and put a little ER at the corner of the W and just say, moving forward, this is how this plays out. So that's my encouragement for us today is rather than focusing on Jesus in the future, let's join him now.
and his kingdom on earth. Amen. God, thank you for the chance to be, to be gathered today and to just celebrate death and new life, to be your people here and now, not to miss you. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen.